And that day when the smoke was, was like up over 150, the air quality, which is it's like in the unhealthy zone, unhealthy zone, not where it had been. Um, I think it was just this for me also. Um, and for a lot of people, this like, <gasps> okay, like we're doing it again. Um, and it's a reminder around the fires. It's a reminder of what it was like the last two years. It's also just this like, okay, like we're watching firsthand how the climate is changing around us. This is the Living with Fire podcast brought to you by the Living with Fire program at the University of Nevada, Reno Extension. Hi, welcome to the Living with Fire podcast. I'm Megan Kay, your host and outreach coordinator for the Living with Fire program at the University of Nevada, Reno Extension. So this is the third episode of our season two. And on this season, we wanted to explore stories about wildfire and its impacts that are more under the surface or unseen. Um, This is also our second episode about wildfire and mental health. I just want to let you know right off the bat that on today's episode, we're going to be talking about stress, anxiety, and trauma responses in the body. So on our last episode, we featured an interview with Yasmin Hossein from Oregon State University that was all about trauma-informed communication around wildfire and how to talk to kids about wildfire. If you haven't listened to it, I highly recommend it. It's a great resource. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about eco-anxiety and eco-grief as it relates to wildfire and other potentially scary climate change-related events. Our guest is Caitlin Wallace. My name is Caitlin Wallace. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, perinatal mental health therapist, and a climate-informed therapist. And I live, work, and play on uh, Shoshone Paiute and Washoe land in Northern Nevada. Now, the term eco-anxiety or eco-grief may be new to you. It was to me. And I'm not the expert, so I'm going to go ahead and let Caitlin explain it. Um, Eco-anxiety is the anxiousness and the worry about the changing climate and what might happen. And eco grief is the sadness and grief at the loss of life, um, human, okay. animal, and plant life um, that you anticipate to come. Caitlin is a friend of mine. And as you heard, she's a counselor specializing in this emerging field of climate informed therapy. Um, but before I kind of connected the dots and figured out that that would definitely be an applicable topic to cover on this podcast. What inspired me to invite Caitlin on the show was an Instagram post that she made during this past summer that really resonated with me and got me thinking about all the stress and anxiety that go along with living in high fire hazard areas or just areas impacted by wildfire. So I thought that'd be a great place to start. I remember uh, the day I posted, I don't remember specifically what I said, um, but It was a smoky day with the fires coming out of Yosemite. The smoke was coming out of Yosemite. And for a lot of people in our area, especially after the last two years, which have been weeks and weeks and weeks of smoke, there was almost like a trauma response to the smoke in the air. And just to like, oh, okay, here we go again. Um, For those of you who aren't familiar, the last two summers... Specifically, so the summer of 2021 and the summer of 2020 in our valley were filled with smoke. Um, yeah, from like the Caldor Fire and the Beckworths and the Dixie, which are all kind of, and then Tamarack, which are all happening at the same time. Yeah, just yeah. huge amounts of smoke flooding into the valley, uh, which made the air 
pretty much unbreathable. I mean, there was, we were wearing masks for COVID, but also they were saying to wear masks for smoke and the kids' schools were canceled because they couldn't have the door. Anyway, it was just a very hard and challenging time. Couldn't be outside without seeing smoke. You didn't really see the sun for a few weeks. You couldn't be outside. A lot of people had all these plans for summer that were changed because we couldn't be out and about. And I think there was a lot of anticipation that something like that would happen this year too. And that day when the smoke was was like up over 150, the air quality, which is... It's like an unhealthy zone. Unhealthy zone. Not where it had been. Um, but I think it was just this, for me also, um, and for a lot of people, this like, <gasps> okay, like we're doing it again. Um, and it's a reminder around the fires. It's a reminder of what it was like the last two years. It's also just this like, okay, like we're watching firsthand how the climate is changing around us. Climate change is referred to as a hyper event, meaning it's so big and so close that we can't really see the edges. So it's really hard for us to understand. It's not hard for us to grasp. It's hard for us to hold it in space and get perspective on it. And when that happens, it's either a a cognitive disconnect from Mm -hmm. it or a, a flood of emotion because it's so hard to put it in yeah. perspective and in space. And I think in that moment for me, it was a, <gasps> a flood. A flood. <laughs> Speaking of wildfire smoke, we actually just put out a guide called Living with Smoke, How to Be Prepared for Smoke Exposure. In our guide, we talk about what is in wildfire smoke, and why it's potentially hazardous to your health. We also talk about how you can prepare for wildfire smoke and stay safe indoors and outdoors during smoke events. You can find that guide in the resources section of our website at livingwithfire.com. So I'll I'll back up just a little bit and say, uh, I've always been somebody concerned about the environment. I've been you know, taking action, uh, organizing recycling campaigns, doing all the things since like high school. Um, in fact, initially when I went to school, I was going to go do science, yes. um, and ended up through various choices and path changes, some in my control and some out, um, on a very different end of the spectrum doing mental health work and got into perinatal work. So treating pregnancy, postpartum, um, depression, anxiety, infertility, grief, and loss, and started noticing in some of my clients this grief and guilt around, I worked so hard for this baby. I tried so hard for this baby. The baby is here. And now I am guilty and ridden with shame because there's a pandemic, there's smoke, there's this warming client, climate. We're in a huge drought. What did I do? Why did I bring a baby onto this world? So from that perspective, I kind of had that light bulb moment of like, oh, I can bring this other thing that I'm very passionate about into mental health work. I had no idea how to do it. There was nobody doing it. Um, And I found the Climate Psychology Network and they're out of the UK. And then they have an American, uh, North American um, branch of that. And so I have trained with them um, and am now offering my services as a climate aware therapist. So So this has got sort of a new field of study. You're saying no one was doing it when the light bulb went off for you. 
So what does the landscape look like now? Are people, are there more climate aware um, sort of counselors around? Is it something that people are interested in? Uh, yes and no. Yes. It I seems think, to me there's just a lack of mental health. There's a lack of mental <laughs> health in general. providers in general, especially yeah. in our area. Yeah. So if you were in the Bay Area of California, let's say, mm-hmm. you're going to see more more providers in general and also more specialized providers but because of their healthcare system uh, their healthcare system the, their population the awareness to some of these things yes. um and also um on the east coast i think that there's a lot of providers on the mm-hmm. east coast i haven't looked at the directory lately but yeah. i definitely get people who are like you're the only person that i could find in a you know 100 mile radius to where i live so um there's that part of it too and also just i think people have a general sort of dis-ease, but they can't really put a name or a word to it. And I can't tell you how many times I've told people like what I do or that I do like this very specific subspecialty of parenthood and eco-grief and eco-anxiety. People are like, oh, what's that? And I tell them like, oh my God, I have that. I didn't know there was a name for it. So people aren't even really aware Mm -hmm. of what it is, let alone the providers, right? The, the, very small group of us who are doing this sort of work. We have the language for it. We have the books for it. Um, I can put some recommendations and books if you want to put them in the show notes. Yes, please. Um, but it's a thing that people don't recognize that they have until they hear it. And they're like, oh, yeah, that is a thing that I have. Yeah. That is a thing that really worries me or scares me. Back to the original question of like, how does it show up? So yeah. um, it helps to differentiate for me between eco-grief and eco-anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, eco-anxiety is the anxiousness and the worry about the changing climate and what might happen. Mm-hmm. And eco-grief is the sadness and grief at the loss of life, um, human, okay. animal, and plant life um, that you anticipate to come. And then there's also some emerging terms that are specific to climate change, like anticipatory trauma. It's a trauma response in anticipation of an event instead of in reaction to an event. So we currently have acute stress disorder and post-traumatic stress disorder, which look at after a traumatic event, what happens to a person and there's being floated this theory and idea based on what some people are saying is that people are having these traumatic stress responses in anticipation of increased fires, water running out, um, hmm. the changing landscape, oceans rising, the lack of drinking water, wow. the migrant, you know, the, the pattern of migration that will happen as people are fleeing cities that are no longer livable due to heat or rising oceans yeah. where those people are going to be going. Um, How does that happen? How could you have like a trauma response to something that you haven't experienced yet. Could you explain that? Um, I don't know exactly, but it looks like hypervigilance. It looks like nightmares. It looks like um, inability to sleep well. It looks like being constantly on edge. Mm -hmm. It looks like a belief that the world is bad or that people are bad, that there's extreme hopelessness about being able to change things or change the way that it's going. And this is just stuff that's being floated, exactly. right? It's all new. This is all, it's emerging. Exactly. Right? It's, yeah. it's a new thing. We've dealt with hyper objects before, but this is a hyper object that is for the whole planet. Wildfire is stressful. 
and wildfire evacuations are stressful. That's why the Living with Fire program has created our wildfire evacuation checklist. It's a really simple checklist to help you learn how to pack a go bag and prepare your home and your family, even your pets, for wildfire evacuation. I've included the checklist in the links in the show notes below, so be sure to check that out. You can also find it at our website at livingwithfire.com. Um, so we talked. So you you mentioned kind of like how that can show up. So is there anything specific about sort of eco anxiety or eco grief, like anything um, that could possibly help folks that are experiencing that? I'm wondering if it would even be helpful for them to realize that it's it is real. <laughs> I think that's a big thing is being able to name it and being able to talk about it. Yeah. Um, we know enough to know that for a lot of these things, specifically depression, anxiety, that being able to talk about your feelings around them gets you out of a fight or flight reactive place and into a place where you can be more responsive. And so, mm-hmm. you know, therapy or climate cafes or extended um, eco-anxiety and eco-grief groups that are more focused on the mental health part of it are not a place to take action or to talk about resources or to shame people who use a plastic utensil or don't carry a reusable water bottle. They're about getting really clear on the emotions and being able to process through them so you get out of a very reactive space. Mm -hmm. And then when you are in an action-oriented space, you can be more responsive. I mean, I'm just learning in my own sort of personal journey, the difference between those two spaces. You know, when you're feeling big feelings, you want to take action, but you're not always in the right space to do it. Yeah. It can, it can turn into an emotional bypass where you're not dealing with the feelings because you're about doing direct action. Um, And can a term that I learned from Britt Ray, who's, um, written a wonderful book called Generation Dread. And she uses the term eco-fascism, mm. which is just becoming such a hardline guilt, shamey pusher about what is acceptable, what is not acceptable, that we actually create tension. Yeah. That we don't come together. We're not an open, welcoming yeah. community, that it becomes like pitting people against people. And really what we need to be looking at is corporations and capitalism. There are things that we can do to help feel like we have more control or that we're taking action and larger corporations are responsible for a majority of the climate, greenhouse gases, pollution and water pollution, plastic pollution. So it's a balance of understanding that you do have a role to play. You can take action and that can actually be really beneficial for your mental health is to take those small actions that you can, but then also not shaming people who are using a plastic straw or who forgot their grocery bags because that's not actually helping anybody and shame can just entrench people or divide people. Yeah. So (laughs) what I'm seeing in people, like what is showing up? There's a lot of fear. Yes. Um, And there's a lot of fear around, like I said, the hyper object of the unknown, but also points in time. So like the upcoming election, Mm -hmm. um, the midterm election is a big one. And then the next presidential election is a big one because there's a belief in place about like political parties and what might happen or what might not happen. 
Um, there's, I think this time of year for folks around, you know, smoke season as we've taken to calling it, um, yeah. although knock on wood this year so far has been, <laughs> um, pretty mild, mild comparatively. Yeah. Um, so a lot of worry, you know, everything from, you know, my, I don't know if my grandchildren are going to have the same opportunity to do things that I do to, you know, post the election, it's going to be Mad Max and everyone should just mm-hmm. start getting prepared for utter destruction right now. So some people are thinking more long-term, mm-hmm. right? They're thinking about their grandkids and some people are really concerned about six months from now. Is it seems to me like, are there analogs for that in the past? Like, for example, maybe people who were really freaked out about nuclear war or Cold War. Yes. So there are, there is, there, it's not like you're going in completely blind, right? There are people who have dealt with these like huge existential crises where maybe they might have similar mm-hmm. feelings. Mm-hmm. So what would be like the difference maybe between something like that and something like climate change? Nuclear winter would have impacted everybody. So there was a lot of that kind mm-hmm. of existential stuff that was going on. Yeah. Um, 50s, 60s, 70s. I yeah. think the difference was that at that point, it was very much like, this is, you know, we pick sides, right? Mm-hmm. And it's going to be the Russians' fault or it's going to be the Americans' fault. And there wasn't a lot of like, this is your fault because you don't recycle. No, this is your fault because you eat meat. So with climate change, there's mm-hmm. more nitpickiness there's more person turning on person right Mm -hmm. so in the perinatal world for example um a lot of people are just opting not to have kids right so i'm seeing you know a few people who are working through that like what does it mean to be a person who's not having children Uh, but i don't feel like i can because of the state of the world um but that also then if you are somebody who's had children and you but you're also climate concerned and the research is like oh well, children are the problem. People who reproduce are the problem. Like, that doesn't feel very welcoming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, especially for people who are climate concerned and have had children, there's a lot of baby spaces are not talking about climate stuff. And a lot of climate places are really shaming of people who have had children. So whereas before, hmm. in existential threat, not always, but the mm-hmm. one that comes to mind that you just mentioned, Cold War, there was like sides and a plan and we, you know, took small action. This is like, we're almost pitting people against each other. Yeah. Is there any sort of advice that you could offer? Cause I know it's like in, not like on a clinical level, but on like a general for people maybe feeling like anxiety, eco anxiety, or maybe that's advice is not the right word. Um, where do we go from here? You know, Mm -hmm. um, naming it, it's a huge one. Being able to put a name to the experience that you're having is really big. Finding people that you can talk to. Reading the science. Yes. Um, in a way that feels digestible. Some of those articles are very sciencey. Yeah. I I have a master's degree and I read some of these. And I'm like, I have no idea what this is saying. <laughs> this is not the same as like my beloved psychology and social work. Well, the headlines can also be sort of misleading. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to stay away from the clickbait. Yeah, That's totally. In, in regards to anything, but especially climate. Um, <laughs> curb your time on social media. And you talk. Know. Find people. Come to a climate cafe. What so, is a climate cafe? I'm so glad you asked. So climate <laughs> cafes are modeled on death cafes. They started in the UK. And it's this idea that there are these big existential crises that maybe we don't need 
full-blown one-on-one therapy to address, but that we need something. We need to be able to talk about it. In fact, maybe talking about it with people mm-hmm. is actually the most helpful route. And so Climate Cafe follows the Death Cafe model. It is open. It is um, non-therapeutic, though it is still supportive. And it's facilitated generally by a climate-aware therapist, um, someone who has been trained to host climate cafes, which I have. And it's speaking to the emotions and to the feelings that you have. It's not a call to action. It's not a lecture on what climate change is. It's not a place for debate. It's just a place to meet and connect with people and create openings and community to talk about the feelings of climate change. Thank you for listening to the Living with Fire podcast. You can find more stories and resources about wildfire at our website, livingwithfire.com. The Living with Fire program is funded by the Bureau of Land Management, the Nevada Division of Forestry, and the U.S. Forest Service. And we're managed by the University of Nevada Reno Extension, an equal opportunity institution.